0: Hello beautiful mama, and welcome to the Nourishing Mama podcast. St. Catherine of Siena said, Be who you were meant to be, and you will set the world on fire. Mamas, our job is one of the most important jobs on earth, and also one of the hardest. We don't all start out as the moms we wanted to be, but what if we took this challenge as seriously as the world tells us to take our careers? What if we laid out a plan of preparation so we could show up ready to fight the good fight, and become who we were meant to be, the very heart of our homes. If you want to take motherhood to the next level, to prepare your mind, body, and soul for the enormous task at hand, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Kelsey, and I want to teach you to nourish yourself so that you can nourish your family. Let's dive in. hey guys today you're in for a treat we're continuing our series on triggers and digging into sensory struggles today with an interview we have claire mccullough here with us and she's a pediatric occupational therapist she's also a mom and personally struggles with sensory processing disorder so she's bringing a unique and valuable perspective on how we can help our kids and ourselves with sensory overload It was such a joy talking with her. We dug into everything from noise overload on car rides to picky eating, and there's so much good advice coming up. Claire is so knowledgeable and compassionate. I hope you love this interview as much as I did. All right, Claire. So my first question to you is, what is occupational therapy and why would someone need
1: it? Well, my elevator speech for what is OT is usually that we help people to do the things they want and need to do every day as independently as possible. And so far as what that looks a little more specifically like for kids, for kids that's playing, doing motor things like getting dressed, writing, um, being able to cut up their food, feed themselves, but then also, and I would say especially within my estimate's more like the past 30 years, I would say what's kind of exploded is the sensory processing and the self-regulation part of kids being able to kind of um, identify the state of their body and kind of have a little more control over that so that they can, again, participate in the things that they want and need to do every day. And so far as why someone would need it, I would say they're struggling with one of those things. (laughs) Um, I mean, the root of it typically or like common, I would say, especially for kids who I was working with, I would say if there were some sensory processing challenges, sometimes anxiety or some kind of other mental health component. And then of course, more the physical components that are impacting their motor abilities and being able to control their body movements effectively.
0: So just um, to clarify for our listeners, I've heard this term sensory processing disorder. It's something one of my own children has, and I think it's becoming a little better known, but what would, how would you
1: explain that? Yeah, sensory processing disorder. I am happy that it's getting more mainstream uh, so that people understand it, but I do think it's good to have the OT perspective too, because sometimes it gets to me, it like turns into sensory bins on Pinterest is what is known of sensory, you know? So sensory processing, well, I'll say sensory processing is the process that your brain and your body takes in the sensory aspects of the environment. So that is like light, touch, movement, sound, taste, smells, all of those kind of components of the environment, and then makes sense of it. So brings it into the brain and the body, makes sense of it, uses it for whatever processes it's supposed to support, and then kind of moves on with those processes, moves on with your day. But in sensory processing disorder, there the best way I can say for it is that it's kind of that maybe some of those processes are inefficient or not entirely ineffective per se, but there's maybe some kind of hitch in the giddy up in all of maybe some of those steps that they are struggling to take in a certain type of sensory input. So then it might cause some distress for the child, which then might cause some distress for the output, like the language skills, or the ability to be calm or to be able to run or do whatever kind of thing their body was trying to do. So the disorder part of it, I would say, is that inability or the struggle to take in that sensory information well, easily and efficiently, and to support the processes. Does that you can have- does that clarify? An
0: example- could you give an example maybe of what it, that might feel like to someone who has it? Like, let's say they're in a um, a space with a lot of like flashing lights or loud sounds or something. How would that be? How would that affect their reality, their their body and their body, their mind connection? What mm-hmm. would that feel like for them?
1: Well, it can be different. That's one of the struggles of sensory processing too, is that it's different for every person. While there are some tendencies that, you know, OTs kind of try to uh, not box people into, but just to help to kind of give categories or tendencies, everyone reacts differently. So for one person, say lots of, as you said, like lots of flashing lights for one person that could kind of cause a nervousness of, oh, this is like too much. And you might just kind of feel that sometimes I say it's like a fire in your belly, you know, like kind of that nervousness or that extra energy. Um so that might kind of manifest as like anxiety with their heart speed up or yeah right, right. Like heart, your breathing rate. um for some people in those situations, and you'll see that they're if they are someone who communicates verbally, you might notice that they stop being quite as verbal because basically the body goes down back into that survival mode of a fight or flight kind of place, and it turns off things that feel unnecessary. so then they kind of withdraw a little bit but for so other can kids, really reduce their ability to do basic functioning, to be right. overwhelmed by this. Definitely. Wow. But for another kid that could be, or adults, that could be an environment that actually is helpful for their body or for their brain. And maybe that helps them to be more engaged, more connected, more happy and calm. So just depends on the person's specific needs, I guess.
0: Well, that's really helpful um, for our family. I know occupational therapy for one of my children was life-changing and I was, I was so grateful for that help. Um, but how, how could parents tell when there might be something off with their kids that goes beyond just behavior or be- beyond anxiety that might benefit from OT?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I know this. These are always the type of questions that are the good ones, but the hard ones. So I would say, well, firstly, follow your gut. You know, if there's that like something just feels off, then that's always worth exploring. But in differentiating it, knowing that like OT and specifically maybe a sensory lens could be helpful. I would just say if you notice that your child seems to struggle with new things, but a lot of the techniques you would typically or traditionally try with anxiety or like an anxious child don't work or don't work very consistently or just don't seem like you're like, man, we talk about feelings. We like talk about, you know, emotions and talk about situations and new things, but you see that like they still just really seem to struggle. Then I think that's kind of something to keep in mind and the other part, but then it's hard because you kind of have to have the sensory knowledge because I would say just pay attention to like what things are the hardest for them. You know, so if you can then kind of start to connect dots of like, oh, you know what? Like when we're in noisy places, that's really hard for them. Or, oh, if they are wearing uncomfortable clothes, they seem really extra bothered. Or if we're in a place that has a lot of like visual movement or a lot of bright lights, you know, the tricky thing is there's so much overlap between anxiety and sensory processing and they kind of can feed off of each other. So those are kind of um, things to look for, but could still be a little murky. And one more thing I would add is that, and again, this could overlap with anxiety, but I would say another thing that is not always typical of sensory processing challenges, but can be fairly present is like kind of meltdowns or shutdowns, you know, where either kids are the meltdown, I would say, characteristically is more uh, like an outburst where kind of they outwardly are reacting and shutdowns where they kind of like close in on themselves. Right.
0: And meltdowns are different from your typical tantrums, right? Right. Where
1: what people usually use to distinguish meltdown and tantrum is that with the tantrum, if you give the child what they want or what they're asking for, they can pretty quickly and pretty readily calm down and go back to what they were doing. Whereas with a meltdown, there is usually more of like a cooling off period or sometimes the child can be beyond the point where even if you're offering them the thing they wanted, they still are unhappy because it's kind of their brain is kind of in that chaotic space of it just needs to get it all out and then to do something to calm down and just getting what they want isn't going to make them peaceful immediately.
0: That always fascinates me, that mind-body connection that they really, even though they want to calm down, they not nece- they might not necessarily be able
1: to. Mm. Is there a physical component to that? So far as what makes that happen or what makes that true?
0: Yes, as opposed to like, you know, mind over
1: matter, like it's not uh, an act yeah, of the yeah. will. Yeah, 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 right. Right, so... Um, a lot of a lot of all this has to do with your brainstem, which is like at the root of your brain, and that regulates breathe like breathing and heart rate, and again is tied to that fight or flight. So if you are in the sensory zone, or you know the sensory experience that is making you feel unsafe, it depends on the kid because I would actually say this was part of my own experience was that I have such like a strong prefrontal cortex I'm like such a thinker and such a rationalizer that I think I overly use my rational thought and it as you're saying with that connection it like it causes a bigger disconnection for my body because my body is probably physically feeling unsafe but I'm like mentally telling myself like no it's okay you just have to do it blah 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 um so yeah there is definitely a connection and as I'm saying what I kind of my strategy growing up was kind of increasing that dissonance between those two things. Whereas my in my healing process as becoming an adult and becoming more aware and understanding my anxiety too, has turned more into accepting it so that my body then can get calm and then my mind can be in order. But yeah, sometimes if you're in that physical sensory space, it's impossible to use your rational and like your logical thinking to feel calm because the body is feeling unsafe by the sensory aspect.
0: Does everybody deal with some level of sensory overload? Like what are some ways that parents for instance could help themselves handle the noise and the touching that comes with just being a parent?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, I do think that everybody, well, This is what I always actually used to describe, like say when I was in meetings in schools with parents of like what is sensory overload is the idea of when you're driving in your car and your kids are screaming in the back and there's traffic. So you literally have to turn down the music because your brain can't hear the screaming, hear the music and not get in a car accident. So you have to try to get rid of what you can get rid of and you can't get rid of the traffic but you tell your kids to be quiet and you turn down the music because you're trying to eliminate the sensory aspects for your brain. So, I mean, I think a lot of people experience that and I don't necessarily think everyone who experiences that has sensory processing disorder or like significant sensory differences, you know? So, yes, I think everyone does. Um, I, you know, I have just my first baby who's 15 months old. So, when it comes to this, like, what can parents do? I'm like, well, I'll tell you what I do. But I do sometimes think, oh man, if we end up like with three, four, however many babies, like that's next level. So I give my theoretical advice for now, because I'm only with one little guy right now. And I know when you have multiple, it's, it's the next, next level. Oh yeah. Having a lot. Yeah. With you having four, like that's, Oh yes, I've
0: got four kids. And let me tell you, it is a noisy house.
1: Yeah, right. So something going on. Right. So I'm already trying to lower my expectations or change my expectations. So so far as strategies though.
0: Yeah, um, I'm I'm all ears for this. Let me tell you, I completely I loved your example of the car because I feel like that's one of the most common situations for parents with a lot of kids because you can't just step out of the car to get away from Mm -hmm. it, which is, you know, I'd say generally my go-to calming down strategy is just to take a minute and go
1: outside. Right. What do you do? Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that's not the option. So um, one thing that I hear a lot of parents talk about like online are the uh, noise canceling headphones, but like maybe the buds, you know, I think a lot of people find those helpful because they reduce the noise, but you can still hear your kids, you know, like, or you could still hear things that you have to hear, but maybe it's a bit more muffled. So I, I know that from people who talk about it, that's helpful for them. My personal go-to like, because it works for me, but also that generally is calming for people is doing like heavy work, which is being able to use your muscles or your joints against resistance in some way. So one thing that's well, I mean, whether you wanna use food or not, but if you want some heavy work for your mouth, you can use crunchy or chewy snacks. That's helpful. So if you're open to food being a strategy, you can use be intentional about crunchy or chewy things. And sure. also What about straws. things like gum? Yeah, right. exactly
0: gum good and straws. That's really
1: interesting. Right. And smoothies, particularly through a straw can be very because of the resistance. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. The more you have to do the resistance, the more calming you get.
0: That's really interesting that I see. Usually when I think of things like heavy work, I think of like, you know, my toddler trying to carry a heavy bucket or things like that. I hadn't ever
1: thought about heavy work with like your mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Those are like the traditional or like when you would again, like look it up on Pinterest. That's what you'd see. I always try, I try my best to think of activities that are like low to no prep slash materials, because if you're a parent, especially, I'm thinking you just have to do it. So one of my go-tos also is like even just doing a few squats if you can, because again, you're getting a lot of like whole body input with that. But additionally, if you're holding a child, you get a little more <laughs> resistance also.
0: And so that's um, just a way you can help to regulate your sensory input. hmm that's really interesting
1: so that's a that's one of my go-tos i tell people you know like oh just try and like take a moment and do like five or ten i'm gonna try that i'm gonna
0: oh yeah next time (laughs) there's so much going on i'm just gonna start randomly doing squats
1: right i mean that's like i said no prep no materials and right um movement is just super powerful i think music is also good you know but if you're already overstimulated auditory wise and then maybe the kids will yell louder because you're playing music so um but so that's why like whole body movement to me is good because it kind of shakes up your brain and your body you know as you're talking about that mind brain connection i think it's harder to ignore something where your whole body is moving
0: now is it all movement or is it are there certain movements that are bad or is everything good? like um let's say you know wildly jumping on a trampoline would that help a kid to regulate themselves or a parent to you know, do just a dance party with their kids or should it be something more
1: uh, structured? Mm-hmm. Well, again, depends on the kid because <laughs> and the person, but um I would say also kind of personality so, dance party to me is another one that I recommend a lot because I think even from like an emotional thing, you can like, okay, this is like a fun thing. Like, I think that evokes fun, you know? Um, And so it kind of helps your body to break out of the, like the rigidity of I'm overwhelmed. Um, But yeah, otherwise, sometimes having the more orderly or organized type of input, I would say is calming for a lot of people I don't know that I would say the majority of people but I would say for a lot of people um
0: that makes but, sense that for some kids it might even actually especially if what is that PDA um where they don't like to be told what to do might actually oh, be yeah.
1: a harmful right strategy versus right. a dance party right yeah so it kind of depends but Overall, I would say for adults and parents, those noise canceling, buds, big movement things like some squats or, you know, even just like shoulder raises, just something to get your body, some, like kind of a hug type of input. And then the snacks, those are easy ones, I think, to try to incorporate. Good.
0: That actually brings me to my next question. Speaking of snacks, um, what about when it comes to food? How would you know if your child is a picky eater or if there might be a sensory component to their
1: inflexibility with food? And what could you do to help them? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I would say that with the picky eater, if you can look at it from like a take a step back and think like, do I? Like as the parent, do I get stressed about mealtimes or whenever it's time to feed my child? Do I feel very limited in our ability to like go out to a party, go out to a restaurant? Like do I get stressed about food when we're going out somewhere? To me, I think those are kind of clues that maybe you're doing a lot of compensating for your child or doing a lot of accommodation for them in order to eat. Because while kids are quote unquote, picky to some extent, to, you know, that culturally that's in the U S at least, you know, kids are picky. So we give them uh, pizza and chicken nuggets, you know, but for picky eaters, it might be, but they only like a certain brand of chicken nuggets, or they only like them at a certain temperature or served on a certain plate. So that's one clue. I would say taking the step back and look at as a parent, when you think about feeding your child and mealtimes, Does it evoke like a stress or do you notice that you really restrict yourself? That might indicate that your kid's got a little bit more than just being a child who might have preferences. And then you said what to do to help them.
0: Yeah. What, what are some strategies like, um, especially if they've got a very limited palate, what could help them to, uh, get used to new foods, new textures, um, anything that might be anxiety inducing when it comes to food.
1: Mm -hmm. so I would dare say the number one thing that's helpful is involving kids in food prep and like just talking and being around food in a non-eating environment included because I think what happens is that once they are in that situation of like there's this food on the plate I know that means you want me to eat it then it's like "Uh -uh." they just start to shut down but if you have a garden and they're gardening with you and they're watering the tomato or helping to trim the I don't know what vegetable you trim you know but (laughs) if they're getting hands-on experience with the food and being able to become friendly with it prior to being asked to consume it then I think it takes some of the edge off for them so far as eating goes. Would you say that's especially true with
0: like babies? Like I've heard that it's good to let them play with their food, with their hands as much oh, as possible.
1: Right. right. Yeah, definitely. Right. And to not force the issue. That's, um, I guess that's another component is to not force it. You know, I, I mean, my baby so far is pretty typical. So I am not at a point where I'm feeling that stress, though, even just being a mom and him being a baby and a toddler who's starting to become more selective just by toddler you know, I do like notice like, oh, what is he going to eat? What am I going to feed him? So then I have thought like, oh man, yeah, moms with kids with like picky eating or like problem feeders, you know, like that's not, that's really challenging for them. And that really can stress you out. So, and I know even when I've worked with kids in the past and families in the past with feeding, you know, it's like you talk to other professionals and it's like mothers have this innate desire to feed their children. Like that's a physiological, like true. I should be able to do this is what you tell yourself, you know? So I think it hits harder, especially for moms probably. So then there's like the temptation to just like, let's just make it happen and trying to force it or trying to sneak it or trying to trick them. But really that becomes counterproductive in the end. So Accepting yeah, that it's it probably a painfully, would break painfully trust. slow process. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't want to do that. So take so, your
0: time, involve them in the process, get them right. touching the food and preparing
1: it and gardening. Right.
0: These are all good ideas.
1: And one other thing that like when I learned this in regards to feeding therapy that I was like, I like it a lot is there's this concept of food chaining, which mm. is you effectively look at the foods that your child does accept and you notice the characteristics about them so for example if a child likes uh crunchy foods and but they don't eat any fruit maybe that they accept Cheerios so then maybe I would try to give them banana flavored Cheerios to get them to the banana flavor then maybe I'd give them a banana chip like a frozen one or whatever and then maybe I'd do real banana or you know so also that like looking at what your child likes and kind of studying the characteristics and trying to do something that's very slightly different very slightly different is crucial but similar
0: that sounds really interesting i'll have to talk to you more at some Mm -hmm. point about the food chaining because that is such an interesting concept Mm -hmm. um i have just a couple more questions in our time uh one of them, you're a pretty new parent, but it must be uh really different being able to come in as an occupational therapist with your expertise. And I was wondering, how do you incorporate that into your daily life, into how you parent? Like, what are you, what are you doing that the rest of us might not be doing and <laughs> seeing that the rest of us might not be seeing? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I like this question because I was like, oh, this is my life, <laughs> especially because I'm not currently working like in a clinic. So I'm like, oh, poor baby. You are the one I'm observing. You my, are the-. my one patient. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, So I think some of you may be doing these things because I also think some of it is a little Montessori. Some of it's a little gentle parenting. So I think a lot of people are privy to this, you know, um. But I would say things, I guess, that I really prioritize or see as like, oh, yeah, this is really important to me. One is really trying to let him be independent and not trying to fix things, both from a motor perspective, you know, of like, let him do it because he needs to do the trial and error to learn how to do it. But also then from like an emotional and like self-regulation perspective of him growing confident in trying things and knowing that things don't have to be perfect and having like kind of small natural opportunities of frustration in playing or in getting dressed that then can be the building blocks for some of that self-regulation.
0: I love that. So you let him fail
1: to build resilience. Right. So that's crucial, though, takes time. And again, one baby. So we'll see what the right. next babies get. <laughs> but I mean, I
0: feel you, it, it takes time, but it, it is so hard sometimes not to like jump in there
1: and intervene. Right, right. so, but I think it's very important and goes a long way. Um, I would also say, again, from the emotional perspective, because wanting to build that resistance and just emotional wellness and ability to do hard things is trying to be uh like honest and model your own like needing a break and narrating it you know so like noticing if you're getting stressed and trying your best to take the break or explain like i'm feeling stressed right now um so i'm going to whatever take I a couple that. breaths um and also i guess along those lines like if i ever it, like, where I feel like, oh, I was really impatient with Santi, like, really apologizing to him to, you know, just to get that foundation started to that it just becomes very natural, you know? Yeah,
0: modeling is absolutely wonderful. That is so cool.
1: And my other one that I'll say is movement is the other thing. I feel like going to the park is my like number one parenting hack because as opposed to, you know, I just feel like, especially in society, as things get more uh I mean, mainstream wise, that things get more like we have to accomplish as much as possible and we have to sit down and just do all of our work. And it's like the kids can't do that. That's not what a kid's meant to do, you know? So being very proactive about involving him in daily activities as well as I can but also going to the park and just getting him moving because that's kind of feeding his growing brain. And I mean, his body and his brain are craving that movement. So that's another thing that I really try to make a priority.
0: You are so right. Kids are not meant to sit still for so long and be in a rush everywhere. I I just love that you're doing that, that you're incorporating slowness and intentional movement into your day. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Well, Thank you so much for doing this interview. I want to ask just one last question today, and then I'll give you a little chance to talk about your programs and what you offer. Mm -hmm. But um, what is the number one takeaway you would hope our listeners would get from this conversation? What should they walk away
1: incorporating into their lives? Well, whether it's an OT thing or not, I'm not sure. But The number one thing that I always want parents to really take away is to really just give yourself a lot of grace because Mm -hmm. I feel like I always think like I am an OT and I know all the neurology or, you know, some of the neurology of these things. And I know a lot of the science behind it, but still because of just, you know, my own wiring and scripts that I've learned, like I have to do a lot of rewiring in order to be as peaceful or like the peaceful as possible parent that I want to be. And that requires a lot of patience with myself. And I know so much of the the science and the connections of it. So in order to be able to be calm for your child, you have to be really patient and gracious with yourself because if you don't have your own self-regulation first, then you can't do the co-regulation with your child that will then eventually give them the ability to do their self-regulation. You know, so just being really patient and really kind to yourself.
0: Is Claire, very I important. love
1: that you're saying that it goes so far beyond modeling, like learning
0: to really manage yourself. I mean, how can we even teach our kids these skills if we don't master them too, right? Right. It's a constant practice. And I love that you're saying that too, as an expert coming in here saying, even I am learning how to do this and oh, make it yeah. have to make it a constant priority.
1: That's thank you for telling us that. Oh yeah. I hope that, I hope it sticks because I tell myself and I know it and it's so easy to tell everyone else, but you know, to embrace it of like, give yourself the permission that it's okay. And that it's a perpetually ongoing process, you know? It is such a journey,
0: isn't it? I'm about, mm-hmm. um, my eldest is nine. And so even with, you know, nine years isn't that much in a parenting journey, but even with that much, I've already seen just how hard it is to grow as much as you have to grow. Parenting really kind of shows us oh. <laughs> where we are still in need of that growth and stretching. Yes. That is true. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for coming on today. I I know you said that you had um a lot of programs on your website, and I'm going to put those uh, link to that in the show notes here. Um, but I was wondering if you wanted to just give a quick rundown of what you offer to parents and
1: how you help them. Hmm. Yes, Sue, so I kind of the hub or like my main piece de resistance is that what? <laughs> sure. I think in French, um, that I have is it's a class that explains sensory processing in a little bit more depth. And at some points, I'll have coaching options available, like for people like a group to go through the course together. But for right now, the best option is there's a self paced one. So all the information is there. And you can watch the videos at your own leisure. And then there's some additional resources included with that And my goal with that class is for people to be able to kind of understand the sensory systems and learn what's typical, learn more of the red flags, so that you can then look at your child with that knowledge and start to kind of notice, oh, I think they might struggle with this kind of input, with that kind of input. And included in the class, I also have, again, strategies that are low cost or no cost, often with things you just hopefully or probably have at home that I then kind of go into. So if you've noticed this about your child, maybe these would be some strategies to try just to kind of shorten the problem solving you have to do.
0: Claire, this sounds so useful. I will say too, I know that my experience with my child who needed occupational therapy, we were on a wait list for forever. And if I had mm-hmm. known about a class like yours during that year and a mm-hmm. half long mm-hmm. wait, True it would have made such a difference in our lives to get in there and get earlier. And I'm sure too, with you know the holidays on the horizon, there's gonna be a lot of parents out there noticing that their kids mm-hmm. have issues mm-hmm. with sensory um, regulation or self-regulation with sensory overload. Mm-hmm. And I, I can only imagine what a big help and resource a program
1: like that could be to them. Thank you, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think, I think it depends on the person. I've also thought even parents whose kids are in OT, mm-hmm. I mean, it just goes into a little more depth. I, as an OT, am always very detailed and intentional about teaching the man to fish, but I don't know, or I just know that people don't always get that. So, right. And it can be overwhelming
0: when you're in the oh, therapy yeah. too, just to try to learn everything. It's. Right. It would be so helpful if you got
1: to walk away with a manual and a guide right. that you took home. Yeah. So it can kind of be a supplement that way. And then additionally, I mean, I am open to doing one-on-one consultations with families where we could go into a little bit more detail of what you feel your child specifically kind of struggling with and talk about things. Um, And also I have the resources that are included in the course are kind of separated out and available. There's one that's kind of just the big bundle where it talks about things like visual schedules how to set up like a cool down spot, um, sensory strategies that you can kind of sneak into your typical routines and kind of separate it out by different sensory systems. So there's that just different the options. The concept of, that. of a sensory diet,
0: I think I've heard of.
1: Right. Yeah. So I've kind of, yeah, sensory diet. And in some way, I'm I'm moving towards like a sensory lifestyle, sensory, mm. <laughs> just because as an adult too, it's like, You do things that are getting you sensory input, but it's just part of your day. And I think, again, as well as we can make it as natural for kids and for the parents, the more naturally routine based is, I think the more it's going to stick, you know. That sounds absolutely wonderful and so
0: helpful. Well, thank you again, Claire, for coming on today. I really appreciate you. I know our listeners really are going to get a lot out of this, and I hope that It helps them with their parenting, with their self-regulation, with helping their children, and just understanding a little bit more about OT and everything uh, that we
1: talked about today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'm just going to add that for your listeners, they can use a code, a coupon code of, I'm going to say Nourish25, and they would get 25% off of whatever they were to purchase. And it could be used on any combination of things. Thanks
0: again, Claire. I'm going to put that code in the show notes. So if you didn't have a chance to write it down, you can access it there. Thanks again, Claire. Hey there, Mama. If you found this podcast helpful today, would you do me a favor and drop a review below? Reviews are how podcasts show up in search rankings and can help other moms like you to find us. Also, if you're wanting more actionable tips and day-to-day strategies, head over to my Instagram account at Nourishing Mama Podcast. Please feel free to message me there with any questions as well, and I'll try to answer them for you. Have a great week.